0: Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio and I love all things tech. And this is the tech news for Thursday, June 17th, 2021. And following up on antitrust news, a proposed piece of legislation here in the United States would make it illegal for tech companies to prevent users from removing pre-installed apps on devices. So at the heart of the matter here uh, would be competitive advantage, and we'll use Apple as an example. So currently, Apple can and does pre-install its own apps on iPhones. Apple also prevents users from being able to uninstall some of those apps. So, even if some other developer makes an iPhone app that gets approved, it goes into the iPhone App Store, and it does the same thing as a native Apple app, you can't just swap them out. You can't uninstall the Apple app and replace it with this new one. They would have to sit side by side. So, you could install the new third party app, but the Apple app would stay on your phone, mocking you, judging you. But if this legislation becomes law, Apple would be required to make its own apps removable so that people could choose to go with a competitor if they wanted to. The argument is that by making it impossible to remove the apps, Apple is discouraging competition. And since Apple is the source of both those apps and the hardware that those apps run on, this is a big problem. There are currently a few different pieces of proposed antitrust legislation in the U.S. that could have an enormous impact on the tech industry should they actually be passed into law. So we'll keep pace with the story as it develops. Meanwhile, in the U.S. Senate, a proposed bill would require companies to make it easier for customers to cancel a service at the end of a free trial. And it's being called the Unsubscribe Act, and this would address situations in which a company entices new customers with a free trial and then switches those customers to a paid subscription service without, you know, much notice or an easy way to cancel out. It would also affect companies that break out the monthly rate of a service, but they charge in larger increments. Like, they'll say, oh, you'll get, you know, charged $10.99 a month, but then they, they actually make you pay for half a year or a year all at once, which is not great, right? Because what if you change your mind about the service? You've already paid for, you know, six months. You don't wanna have to pay for half a year or more, and then a week in, you realize this service isn't for me. I think it's interesting to see more moves to address consumer rights. We've seen that kind of a few times in recent months. And I think this also points to how more politicians have been on the receiving end of these corporate policies. Typically here in the United States, we see politics lag behind tech quite a bit because, I mean, let's face it, a lot of politicians tend to be old people who are perhaps not quite as in touch with technology and tech services as younger people. That's a pretty general statement. I I get it. Uh, and I don't mean to say that all old people are clueless when it comes to tech. I am rapidly becoming an old person, and I like to think that, you know, I got a clue or two, but... Politicians in particular traditionally have not been on that bleeding edge of technology scale. Now, while we're past the initial NFT craze, we've got another one to talk about. Tim Berners-Lee, the man who essentially invented the World Wide Web, is now going to auction off an NFT representing the original files used to create the first web pages. Now, again, we need to talk about what an NFT actually is. That initialism stands for non-fungible token. And that means it's a thing that represents something that itself is not interchangeable. So a U.S. dollar is interchangeable with any other U.S. dollar, or a U.S. dollar is interchangeable with four U.S. quarters, or 20 U.S. nickels, and you get the point. But an NFT represents a unique instance of something. However, that being said, an NFT doesn't give the owner the right to, you know do anything with whatever it is that NFT represents. It's more like you have a certificate of ownership of that thing. Like if you've ever seen ads for a company that will let you, quote, purchase and name a star, end quote, it's kind of like that, except it's a token that sits on top of a blockchain and you can buy and you can sell NFTs so you can make them a commodity, but they really just represent the idea of ownership in a way that's so nebulous that it makes me grouchy. Thanks a lot, NFTs. Over in China, the Chinese military is training AI combat pilots and using those pilots to train human pilots. So human pilots have been training with and against, depending upon how you view it, AI-controlled simulated aircraft. So this is all computer simulations. Uh, So according to the military, the AI displays an incredible ability to learn and apply knowledge and rapidly gain a level of expertise similar to that of China's Golden Helmet Squadron. And the Golden Helmet is an elite group of human pilots. The humans participating in the sessions say that the AI pilots are able to adapt quickly, so you might defeat them once using certain tactics, and then they would turn around and use those exact same tactics in the next matchup and defeat the human pilots. The project is really, again, more about training up human pilots. It's not really about creating autonomous fighter jets down the line, at least not yet. Guy Snodgrass, a former U.S. Navy commander, expressed some skepticism about the usefulness of this project. His point of view is that the Chinese pilots might just be learning how to fight against AI opponents rather than how to engage with actual human pilots who may display very different tactics and behaviors. And since we're not in a world with robot jet fighters, that could end up being useless in a real combat situation. Amazon appears to be removing certain tech brands and online storefronts from the Amazon service. And the reason behind this ties into the issue of fake reviews, something that Amazon's really been struggling with recently. Several brands have made it a practice to include a card or a slip of paper inside the box of various gadgets. Stuff like, you know, charging cables or computer mice or something like that. And those cards give you an offer, to get a like gift card usually or credit in a store in return for posting a favorable review on Amazon typically the card has some instructions on it to guide the consumer through that process of posting the review and then sending it to the vendor in order to verify that the review was posted and in return the consumer gets a gift card or credit so it's kind of like bribing for a good review This practice does drive up reviews that might not actually reflect the quality or reliability of a product, and Amazon has become pretty sensitive to this problem of fake reviews recently, so now Amazon appears to be removing entire brands from the store. On a related note, Amazon has called social media platforms to task, saying that they are helping perpetuate the fake review problem. Amazon says that companies that deal in fake reviews, either as a vendor that's trying to get people to positively review its stuff, or as kind of a middleman service provider that allows other vendors to purchase good reviews, they often turn to social media to recruit folks in those efforts. And Amazon says that Amazon's alerted various social media platforms about this problem and that the platforms have traditionally been pretty slow to do anything about it. Now, you could argue that Amazon's structure is what ultimately enables the practice of fake reviews to flourish, but there is no doubt that using social media to recruit more folks to the effort is a problem. I don't think it's fair to place all or even most of the blame on social media, but I do think that a lot of social media platforms, notably Facebook, have traditionally moved very slowly to address problems with fraudulent, misleading, or deceptive practices on the platform. Twitter is not much better. It's honestly a really big mess. General Motors, the number one auto brand in the United States, announced yesterday that the company will invest $35 billion in electric vehicle technologies through 2025. That marks a significant increase in investment, and it coincides with a general trend across the world that sees auto companies moving away from producing fossil fuel-powered vehicles and moving more toward electric ones. According to Reuters, a consulting firm called Alex Partners projects that by 2030, electric vehicles will make up nearly 25% of our all-car sales. And today, it's more like 2%. We're definitely headed toward a future in which all new vehicles will be electric vehicles. And I should also add that while electric vehicles could lead to a decrease in carbon emissions, though that also depends upon where the electricity to power those vehicles is coming from. EVs are also the source of some pretty serious environmental concerns. The lithium used in lithium-ion batteries is a substance that, you know, people mine. And some of those mining operations can have a catastrophic effect on the environment, at least in the immediate area around the mines. Plus, there are some serious concerns about worker welfare and safety, Because many of these mines are in places where workforces can be heavily exploited by companies that run the mines. So I guess the moral of that story is that these issues are really complicated, and there are no simple solutions. SpaceX is facing some tough questions from Texas law enforcement. Allegedly, private security guards working for SpaceX denied people access to a county road. A public road, in other words. A road that SpaceX doesn't own and the local government says that it never gave SpaceX authorization to close down the public roads. So by denying citizens the use of those roads, those employees, the security guards and potentially the company itself has broken the law. In addition, there are questions as to whether the security personnel had the required licenses to serve as security or to carry a weapon. Though, at the time of the reporting, it was unclear as to whether the security personnel in question were armed or not. Earlier this year, the Japan Supersonic Research Organization got off the ground, figuratively speaking, in an effort to develop supersonic passenger jets. The organization now includes several Japanese aerospace and manufacturing companies. There hasn't been a supersonic passenger jet since the Concorde, which operated for several years before some high-profile disasters and the harsh reality of economics forced the company out of business. Creating a fuel-efficient supersonic jet is one of several challenges. That's one of the reasons that was so expensive with the Concorde, is just jet fuel prices were really dragging down the company, figuratively speaking, again because it's just too expensive to operate. You had to charge higher and higher prices for for flights, and eventually get to a point where you kind of price yourself out of the market. But another big challenge is to limit the effects of sonic booms. When you travel faster than the speed of sound, you create a sonic boom, and that travels with you. So if an aircraft is flying faster than the speed of sound, there's a boom that kind of trails behind the aircraft, and it does so consistently as long as that aircraft is is going faster than the speed of sound. So anything the aircraft passes over will experience a sonic boom shortly afterward. For that reason, the Concorde's supersonic flight paths were restricted to being over the Atlantic. Once they got to the point where they were going to pass over land, they had to slow down below supersonic speeds because nobody wants these enormously loud booms to pass over their, their area. Like, it could be strong enough to shatter glass in some cases. There's no word yet uh, if the Japanese are planning on restricting their supersonic aircraft to flying just over the oceans when they're in supersonic mode. Um, And we probably won't see these aircraft until about 2030 or so. However, the engineers do say that the design of the aircraft they have created should mean that it will produce a sonic boom that's only half as loud as the Concorde's. So that's some progress. There are a lot of other companies uh, and organizations around the world working on supersonic and hypersonic aircraft. Uh, And a lot of them are working on ways to try and minimize that sonic boom so that these aircraft could travel not just over the ocean, but over land as well at supersonic speeds. But that's something that's still in development. And, I mean, there are big challenges. Like, how do you make something like that fuel-efficient so that it makes economic sense to operate it. If it's too expensive to operate for anyone to ever bother flying on it, well, then there's doesn't do much use, does it? And that's it. That's all the news that I have for you today, Thursday, June 17th, 2021. If you have any suggestions for topics I should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, let me know on Twitter. The handle is techstuffhsw, and I'll talk to you again really soon.